Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. There we go. Live streaming. Maybe we're going to be able to do it. Oh, this being being live streamed. Got it. It's and value after alive. hours. We did it <laughs> on time. Crazy. Church. Um, Bill Brewster, Jake Taylor, and I'm Tobias Carlisle. This is value after hours. Haven't done a proper intro for a while. We do these like stumbling intros. Uh, what are we talking about today, fellas? Billy, what you got? Uh, I think that we're probably going to talk a little bit of bubble talk. All right. That's good. Grantham, I assume, is involved. <laughs> I've, uh, I've got a piece that's probably going to tie in nicely only through sheer coincidence and accident. <laughs> Uh, which is going to be on mass extinctions. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> that, that makes me a little bit nervous. Yeah, we'll see. It's an ominous episode today. Well, I got, I got, I got some good news because, uh, well, I got some, I got some priors that need to be uh, confirmed. So I got Grantham uh, GMO's got a uh, their their letter out defending value, even though it got. Uh, had a pretty good run for a little while there. It's all been beaten up and growth's back. Monsters back from the dead. Uh, Grantham GMO's got some uh, got some thoughts. They say it's okay, just relax. Values money good. <laughs> <laughs> who who wants to go first? Who wants to take it away? Let's start with with veggies. All right, it might be set the table for it. Um, so mass extinctions. I'm going to start the the episode off by saying you guys know about the the you know supposed 65-ish million years ago whenever it was that the uh meteor hit earth and killed off all the dinosaurs right and i know about the great bull market of 2016 to 2020 that mass extinct value <laughs> kill, kill, yeah kill, all right kill all the dinosaurs <laughs> too early for that sorry we'll get, we'll get to that i couldn't end, resist probably. When you when you started that up with the allegedly sixty five million years ago, is there is there a new twist to this? No, no, it's more that I can't remember the exact number. Okay, so. okay good. Uh, so I'm without answering, and it, people can chime in in the comments if they want on what they think the answer is. But from the time that the meteor hit, how long do you think it was before there was the mass extinction? Okay, so don't don't answer that. But let me now set the table a little bit more and then we'll follow up and we'll, we'll close the loop and give you the answer on that. So, so what you're saying is how long from the whatever the event was, the, the meteor striking Earth, did yeah. all of the dinosaurs die out? Correct. But, and, and we can't tell you. I happen to know the answer because you told me last week. But, uh, I won't yeah. tell anybody else. And by the way, like 70% of all of the species disappeared in this time period. So that's that's what we're kind of measuring. So... Let's rewind the clock a little bit further back. And for call it roughly 4 billion years, we basically only had invertebrates, single cell organisms swimming around in the ocean. Uh, there's nothing really 
that we would recognize as sort of like complex life today. And what makes that, what's hard about that is that we didn't really evolve anything at that point that would leave anything behind, right? So it wasn't until about 60, 600-ish million years ago that life started actually evolving things like shells and whatever that would would last longer and, and then be till today when we could start to look at it. So all of our evidence of life, of what things actually look like is sort of, is kind of pinched a little bit on the evolutionary timescale because we can only, nothing lasted, you know, that was before 600 million years ago. So it's kind of an interesting idea, but in, in that 600 million years ago, we had the Cambrian explosion, which is, you got, most people have kind of heard of that. And that actually is what starts the fossil record because we didn't have, there was nothing left behind before that. So in this last 600 million years, since the Cambrian explosion, there have been about, there've been five distinct mass extinction events. Um, and that's how they actually mark geological periods and kind of create a calendar for, for you know, mass geology is from these five extreme events. And the biggest one was actually 250 million years ago, and that ended the Permian era. Uh, and, it, and that actually wiped out between 80 and 95% of life on Earth in both the on land and in the oceans. So, I mean, just an absolute killer. Um, <laughs> what what caused it? Crypto or something like that? It, yeah, NFTs. it was probably it was NFTs. Um, <laughs> Clearly, I, I'm not sure if we know the answer to that. Actually, um, okay. So, one third of all species have actually that have ever existed have been wiped out by mass extinctions, and then the other two thirds of species that have been wiped out, which actually represents almost all species, because 99 percent of species have expired that have ever existed, right? So we're in this lucky little one percent today. Uh, two thirds have been wiped out by lesser events, and the actually the lifetimes of genera, which is the plural word for genus, uh, they follow a power law, as you might expect, like earthquakes. So most of the time, the, the lifetime of a genus of a genera is are relatively short, like lots of little earthquakes that happen. And then there are the occasional very long-lived ones. Uh, and likewise, the events that wipe out life follow similar power laws where most of the time it's little things along the way that get, you know, that get wiped out. And then there's the occasional mass extinction that, that does a, a pretty, big, pretty big swipe. So the one we're going to talk about more specifically is called the KT boundary. And that's the, the, this meteorite that hit near the Yucatan Peninsula, Gulf of Mexico. Um, and it, kind of funny story, like that KT boundary is actually, the, the boundary is the, 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 the time on before it was called the Cambrian and then the tertiary. And so you're like, why isn't it CT? But apparently they've already had, they used CT somewhere else. So they, they used the German word for the, the K, which was like Crede or something, or something like that. So that's why it's the KT boundary because uh, it was spelled with a K there. So, uh, so imagine this 10 kilometer wide rock smashing into earth near Mexico. And what's interesting is that it shot up, you know, like all of this dust and rock into the atmosphere. And we, we can actually see that. Um, so normally in most of the earth's crust, iridium is, is pretty rare element, but the, it, it is found often in meteorites. And so what they found was that there's a thin layer all around the globe of iridium that matches up the strata of the time period to match that 65-ish, whatever it was, million years ago. So this kind of gives us a, that's a pretty good 
indication of kind of what happened, like the, if the pieces fit together. Um, so imagine it shoots debris all over into space, and then all of that stuff just comes crashing down, almost like intercontinental ballistic missiles all over. And uh, the, the, the heat that was created is just absolutely insane. Like it, it spread this worldwide heat that was roughly 10 kilowatts per square meter all over Earth. Uh, and so it's kind of been described as like, if you had set the oven to broil for like several hours, that's what earth was like for a while. Uh, that's pretty rough. Yeah. You probably don't want to be a part of that, but, and then tiny dust particles are spread all around the earth and they, they block out the sun and then it, it kills off everything that, that had photosynthesis as its way of making a living. And it actually then led into a temporary freeze of the, of the earth. So you have, you like put the oven on broil and then you set it to freeze. Uh, so back to our original question, how long did it take for this sort of process to play out from setting to broil versus, uh, you know, freezing the earth and killing off 70% of life on planet earth? How long did the broiling, broiling several, several hours supposedly for, for that part. I reckon you're done after the broiling. <laughs> Billy, I'm not guessing. I'm not guessing on this. I, I will get it so far off. I've been reading Think Twice. I know that it probably Ooh. my guess has something to do with my fucking phone number and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> You're anchored to some bad number. Yes, I'm not doing it. OK, well, I'll spoil it for everybody here. Now that everybody's had a chance to, to put their answer into the comments. The answer is between tens and hundreds of thousands of years for it to play out. So, I mean, when I first read that, I was like, holy shit, my intuition was just so far off on that. I would have thought, I don't know, months maybe at the longest, right? Like I'm off by multiple orders of magnitude, all of which is to say, and like, by the way, that's a very, very short sliver of time in geological time. If you're measuring it, uh, that is a blink of an eye. So all of which is to say, I think that time frames often like stuff just takes longer than we would ever imagine it takes and i think about that with suffering through a value uh you know wandering through the desert i think about that with uh perhaps the internet changing business and how life happens and how biz commerce happens um you know like i think the meteor hitting in 99 or whatever it was, or maybe a little sooner um, of the internet, you know, taking over, I think it might've been right. Like that. I think it's, it's obviously things are different now with that, but I mean, it's, we're 20 years into it now and it's only kind of becoming clear that, Oh yeah. Like it actually really is totally different. And things are, things are quite a, like, I mean, that 20 years seems like forever, but maybe in the grand sweep of humanity and uh, you know, commerce in general that could go back you know, probably tens of, if not hundreds of thousands of years. I mean, 20 years is again, a blink of an eye. So all of which is to say like our scale of how things quickly they should be moving probably is off pretty often. And then therefore we, we probably need to recalibrate and just really think about like, boy, there are things that happen on very slow timelines, even though they're very important. And it's hard for humans to like, we're not really wired and programmed to notice those kind of glacial changes. Uh, and we're more, following a linear antelope across the the the, the uh, savanna and that's sort of what how our, we've been programmed to, to view things so anyway just be patient i guess is the the bigger takeaway and, and try to think in in the, the appropriate time scales is toby frozen 
I think Toby's gone. I'm sure he had something incredibly insightful and, and pithy to say. He definitely seems like he's thinking hard. <laughs> I hope that our whole show doesn't. Oh, there he is. He's back. <laughs> I'm sure was... you, you caught all those words of wisdom, huh? I could have. I just couldn't respond. I had, I had some nonsense to say. I was just, I thought my screen had frozen up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's the, that's the, uh, Bill Gates has got a great line where he says we underestimate the impact of technology in the long run and overestimate it in the short run. I think it's mm. Bill Gates. Sounds right. It does sound I think right. That, I think that's true for the internet. Like one point I was sort of overestimating what they were going to achieve. And then second, second go around, they've definitely been like, they're all much better businesses than they were the first time around. We're already on 3.0, dude. Web3. Yeah. Is that is that uh, blockchain? I believe so. I need to beef up on it. I mean, that sounds great to me. Like, let's cut out these middlemen. Yeah. I like the idea of Ethereum just owning the software and that's it. I like that was, I heard that sales pitch and I was like, I kind of like that. Now I they, just they need own, to do the work. How do they own the software? Well, like you, you can have to own. buy the coin. Uh, I, I, you know, it's got gas involved. I don't understand it yet, so I don't want to really talk about it. It would just expose my ignorance. You know more about it than I do. So that's how far we, we are from this. I mean, I, I think, I think there's like a base layer and that's don't what you do it. Don't do it, Bill. Of, Stay and then away from the edge. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> what, uh, what was it that eventually called the dinosaurs to die out? So it wasn't that it wasn't the broiling. And then the freezing. It was 10,000 years later when what happened? Well, I have to think that, I mean, so if you imagine ecology as this web of, of you know, energy transferring, survival of the fittest, you, it, you, it, it is a nonlinear system where you can take out a piece of it somewhere and you really don't know the, the upstream or downstream effects of it. It's very hard to tell, just like any complex adaptive system. Um, Similar to let's use the 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 age old analogy of like the sand pouring onto a, a table, right? Like you never know exactly which sand is like granule is going to be the one that tips it over. And similarly, it's you really don't know which um, all of these systems they live out right on the edge of chaos. And so, um, oh by the way, this this uh, this piece that I wrote or put together today actually came from a book called Deep Simplicity by John Gribben. And it's uh, so like, I think it was 2004 or five, it came out and Munger actually recommended it during one of the, the meetings. Uh, and so it was like, it's quite good, actually. Like there's, I've read most of the concepts before in different books, but then the way that the, he ties it all together and then the analogies that he uses and how he explains it, maybe one of the best physics books I've ever read. Quite good. So um, anyway, yeah, th these, yeah, I think it's like, just like anything like you know, moving, you just really don't know how this web is going to break down. And, you know, you put that kind of stress onto a complex adaptive system and you're going to have huge, huge change. Is the introduction of the internet and the web, the sort of uh, the analogy that you'd use for the, the, the difference between two eras where there's now there's all of these dinosaurs. Well, is, any, is anything really not web, web based anymore? Yeah, I think there's still plenty of service businesses that don't have much of a, a web presence these days, but 
it's kind of almost table stakes anymore, right? I don't know. Their back ends better be somewhat technology focused. Otherwise, you're screwed. It's hard to imagine the cost structure being competitive if you don't have some of these tools of, especially if labor is kind of getting more expensive, which seems like it's kind of a reasonable expectation. Yeah. Labor, labor had its day yesterday. That's it. One day a year. Yeah. <laughs> 364 I don't think capital, so, man. Maybe. 364 capital. I think it might have a couple of years here. Yeah, I think so too. I think the pendulum swung, swung a long way in one direction. It seems to go back in the other direction historically. One would kind of hope maybe from a uh, guillotine risk perspective that labor has a little bit more, uh, has some time in the sun. Yeah. Yeah. Labor and supply chains, both in short supply right now. What is it about the supply chain? So why does it continue to be so jacked up in just random places for everything? I just, I, I think everything was run so efficiently that you can't just stop it and then start it again. I, I just don't think there was enough slack. And then, you know, you still have a ton of people that are quarantining. You got countries that don't have shots yeah. and arms. You got bad outcomes. Like you can't, it's this whole thing's a mess. Uh, Dollar Tree doesn't think it's going to be solved until 2023. It, I, 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 I've said it before, but drive by a car lot. Like go, go look at uh, like, I don't, I drove by a Mercedes dealer the other day and I looked in, they don't even sell Mercedes. Like they will hawk any car that they possibly can sell. Really? And yeah. And the Northeast just got flooded. So all those cars are taken out of the, like, I, I mean, mm. I don't know. We'll see. I just, Mercedes came out with a, uh, with an announcement. They said no V8s for this year. Cause they can't get the parts or like the supply chains all messed up. So 2022 is going to be a V8 less year. Um, this is, there's power things going on. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> 22 is V eight less. Yeah. They're not going to make any. I just can't do it. Crazy. Yeah. So I, and I mean, you know, I don't know housing, there's huge shortages. Uh, I mean, I know that we talked about this yesterday but, or last week, but read DR Horton's earnings call. I mean, they literally said like the price is not the impediment right now. The impediment is getting the labor to build the houses and the supplies. So, I mean, there's like very real shortages everywhere. It's not good. Labor have to be. Huh? How skilled does that labor have to be? Well, I don't think it has to be that skilled. I mean, one might ask, like, is this the consequence of four years of saying people aren't allowed, you know, like, you know, keep people out of the country? I mean, that was kind of the policy that Trump ran on. And he had a very anti-immigrant, at least message. Um, I don't know enough about that policy to like go in and know exactly how it all worked itself out. But, uh, you know, I mean, they may have created a a pretty big labor shortage. Maybe not. I don't know. I think we could also push some blame on the other side as well, that we <clears throat> encourage people to pursue educations that may or may right. not have a tremendous amount of economic value. Uh, and <laughs> we might've been wise to encourage a little bit more of people going and to, to do the trades and like learn actual skills, like how to weld and uh, yeah, probably would have been smart. 
I think framing is in short supply. I don't think that that's like a big skilled labor. I definitely think like somebody in the comments is inevitably like, oh, what about stimulus payments? Like, yes, I think that that has something to do with it. Imagine that it's a complex system. There's probably multi like explanation. Yeah. Um, So I don't know. It's just what I do know is that stuff is messed up. And and this is kind of why, and we go back to it a lot, but this is kind of why I like didn't want the the airlines to have to fend for themselves because I think if you do this, like if you ruin the aero supply chain even more than it was, like I was really worried about what does that do for five to ten years, and like once labor atrophies, once your skills atrophy, how do you bring people back into the labor market? Uh, that gets really tough. I, I don't. I don't think our system had us enough slack in it to uh, to come back quickly from a huge shock, especially not when people get a ton of stimulus payments, right? Because demand, if anything, went up. Like if you look at retail comps, they're crazy. Retail comps exploded. So like that, there's a mismatch there. Bill, do you want to do your topic? Are we? Are... <clears throat> yeah, you get, we can. Uh, this is like, uh, I guess it ties in nicely. Uh, Grantham's everything bubble. I listened to the podcast that he did with Consuelo Mac three times. Uh, Stay and, away from high places. <laughs> well, I tried to like really think about what he was saying. And um, I mean, he, he's clearly out there on this bubble call and he's done it, you know, pretty successfully, I guess, in the past. Um, I think that if I can boil it all down to one variable, his argument is like it, it. So Schiller came out and he said, you know, the Cape is higher than normal, but it's, it's priced reasonable when you compare it to interest rates and Grantham is like, well, that's not really, I, I think what he said, um, is that that's not really like a fair way to look at the world and that, um, like I, I think if you really boil it down, his argument is that the wealth effect is what everything is a bet on right now. And that when that sort of bet goes away, um, you know, we're sitting on a, on a bubble of epic proportion. Uh, he then advocates something like, I don't know, 70% emerging market value and 30% cash if you have the stomach for it. Um, I'm not quite sure how the emerging market value. Uh-oh. Oh, we're still live. It works. Wow. This is amazing. Our tech on this podcast is like by far the best tech. Strong. Quite yeah. strong. <laughs> yes. Our our host is gone, but somehow we continue to stream. That's called a robust system. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know. Like it's um I don't know what to do with this information. And then, you know, I I listen to um another podcast with Howard Lindsden, which I thought was really interesting. Like he has interesting thoughts. Um, and like, what, what I, was he saying? Well, I think that the title of the podcast was like, you know, fundamentals, fuck fundamentals or something like that. Like basically, oh, okay. you know, like there's, I listen to it uh, for yourselves, but like, I think that his theory of the case is that there's, very rare assets and those assets accumulate value. And he's just going to keep buying those assets um, without too much regard of fundamentals and price because um, like they're going to grow and they're the future. Uh, 
And I don't know. Then then I listened to another. I had a big podcast week. This is what happens when you're in quarantine. Yeah. Then I was like listening to Leon Cooperman and he was talking about the, the nifty 50, which I need to go back and look. But I think this is right. You know, and that like that was like 60 PEs with, uh, you know, an interest rate of six percent. So we're definitely not there. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what you do with all this information. I do think that like, you know, when when the history books are written, if this is sort of like a bubble or whatever, and you say, well, you got crypto speculation, you got the NFT thing, you got valuations like it's it's obviously a top. I'm not so convinced it's obviously a top, but um, it'll look you know. obvious in hindsight. It always does. Yeah. But that's that's tough. It's never obvious in the middle of the fight. Right. Yeah, well, and like, I just think like there's, you know, I was looking at Google and I think Facebook, like all these things seem to trade somewhere between a three and 4% free cash flow to common. Um, you know, like growing 20%, you grow 20% for five years and you look through, you know, you look five years out, all of a sudden you're at like a 6% free cash flow yield to common. Probably it's actually probably too low. It's probably closer to eight or something like that's not that inexpensive or that's not that like crazy rich um but you need the growth to come yeah what's the how big are you at that point after 20 years or 20 percent for five more years that's a big number yeah i think i mean i think I, my data sources are not good for consensus but i think that bloomberg what i saw was like 100 billion in, in free cash for google um for 1.8 trillion today or something like that um I don't know. Like that's that's not a crazy multiple to me. Like Google at terminal value is not going to trade at you know seven times cash flow or something like that. I just that's a hard thing for me to process. But you know, there's some stuff out there that's really got to grow into the multiples. I should say the valuations. Forget the multiples. Sometimes I, we I was listening to our conversation. Plug for the business brew. Jake yeah. Taylor guest on one. it. It was a good one. Um, and I think I said multiples and I really meant valuation. So I want to be more precise from here forward. Yeah. They're connected, but different. So anyway, I don't know. I, I don't know what you do with the information. Like I really don't. I mean, the answer is head down, but if you're dealing with the thesis of we're all in a wealth effect, then your earnings are all artificially multiple. Like your earnings are all way too high because if the, if the wealth effect implodes, no one's spending money the E that you're underwriting is way off and the cash flows are way too high. So what do you do? I don't know. You go to cash. I, maybe. Yes. Well, we're, we're back to full circle of financial repression is, is real and powerful <laughs> and it hurts. Yeah. And, and again, like it's not the nifty 50, right? Like back then you had things that were trading at like a one and a half times free cash flow multiple and they weren't great businesses like Sears. Um, I know it was a great business back in the day, but like it was kind of GE plus retail. So had some good spinoffs, but I, I, I don't think we're there yet. I went into the matrix. What's, what's, uh, what's the single, what's the single thing that, Grantham re relies on? Uh, everyone is too wealthy and it's all going to implode. Mm. <laughs> what about valuations? Hi. Well, I, I think that 
that that has something to do with it for sure. But like, so, okay. So housing, there was a chart on housing today about how it's, it's gone higher than the previous cycle. Well, if you look at debt service coverage, housing is very affordable. When you look at like what the, what the rates are, I think where Grantham and I could agree is there's a version of the world where prices come down and everybody's locked into their current house right? Because you can't sell your house because your equity is wiped out, but you can somehow afford your mortgage. Like I could buy that, but I don't know that that means like, I don't know that that's a catastrophic outcome. It's definitely shitty for liquidity though. I mean, that's sort of like what happened in the last housing crash, wasn't it? A lot of people just couldn't move. They just stuck where they were for until whenever, 2015 probably. Yeah. But yeah. like, but currently, when you look at the consumer balance sheets, they're very good. So you need sort of the his version of the bubble to implode for the whole thesis to play out, which is fundamentally the thesis. But it, I, I can't. My brain is is too simple for these big thoughts. I don't know if it's helpful to speculate about them. I just don't know. Like, it's on one hand, you can see the index is pretty expensive, but then interest rates are really low in the US. Interest rates are really low. It's just the total. Kind of, it, sorry, man. Yeah, well, I'm telling you, Dang. it's going to be the Jake and Bill show. Yeah. What's, that's ideal. You guys Ratings go, are going you guys down. Go down. <laughs> yeah, that's Ratings right. Ratings are going down like interest rates. <laughs> yeah. Negative. I'd be positive. So, All right, so, I don't know. Let me, let me take a shot at mine. Uh, well, briefly while my internet's working and then we'll see what happens. So GMO has their 2Q 2021 um, commentary out and the whole thing is dealing with uh, the myth versus the value growth debate. We've heard that a million times, but they've got, um, I just thought they had some interesting statistics in here because they, they said after the two best quarters for value in at least a decade, the second quarter of 2021 saw a return of growth stock leadership and that continued into July. Um, but the, uh, the interesting thing is just that, uh, the two greatest periods of, of value in our lifetime or in his lifetime, 19, this is Ben Inker, I think 1973 to 1977, 2000, 2002, mm-hmm. um, in both of those. So in the first one, large cap value outperformed growth by 94%. In the second one, large cap value outperformed by 114%. But within those two sort of astonishingly pro-value periods exists some of the best months for growth relative to value on record. Six of the best 10 months for US growth versus value in the period from 1971 to 2019 occurred in those two periods, which make up only about 13% of the total months. So I guess my question is uh, like that you kind of, you see that phenomenon also when the market crashes, like the best months for the market are where the market crashes and then in that very volatile period during the crash, you often see the best months for the market. Is that the same sort of phenomenon here? Do you think you got a growth crash and you see growth do better in that, in that period? I think you can't have capitulation without teasing and some hope that it's over before it hits you again on the head. Right. And I think this might be a similar phenomenon. There's no full capitulation until, You've just been had your soul crushed <laughs> the second time. Well, like multiple times where you're like, oh, this is over. I can breathe easy again. Ah, cut your head off, you know. 
I mean, that was the the, the two thousand seven eight nine crash was just like that, right? It's like fourteen or something, seventeen like lower lows. That's the really you get a bounce, and then it resolves itself at a lower low, and that goes on for eighteen months until you just you don't care anymore. Like seventeenth one, like why why won't there be eighteen? I have no good thoughts on this topic. They've got some. They've got some. Uh, some arguments for why value. These we've heard these before, but value's outperformance was due to an economic reopening, which is largely done or is going to reverse without that tailwind. Value should lead again. Growth should lead again, rather. They've got some statistics that show that it's really it doesn't make any difference what sort of growth levels are in the world as to which value or, or, or growth outperforms. It's sort of randomness. They look at everything from less than two percent to above four percent, and there's kind of there's no there's no real rhyme or reason to it. I mean, I thought I thought that 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 letter I thought some interesting things. Uh, the fact that growth traps underperform value traps, like I thought that was kind of an interesting takeaway. Yeah, um, rates bro argument. Yeah, like the fact that a lot of growth has been multiple expansion. Um, and like typically with value when on earnings expansion, like, I think that's something people may want to read, but also, you know, you can go the, a lot the, higher before you go lower. The prevalence of growth stocks, uh, sorry, the prevalence of underperformance of, uh, growth and value traps is kind of interesting. Like it says 30 to 40% in a given year, which means that just by random chance, you can be three years in a row. It's like a, there's a 3% chance that you're just stuck in a growth stock in, in a, in a, growth trap or a value trap yeah yeah about that uh i thought that chart was pretty good on the price to sales over 10 which kind of got famous from scott mcneely uh yeah when he was like what were you thinking and so they looked at the price to sales um and like how does that perform and it was like if you bought anything over 10 price to sales like you basically got bond yields right over the entire for a big data set 4.4% real return, they say, versus 8.7% for the S&P 500. So historically, Half. it's not been a great base rate to pay more than 10 times sales. But in this recent iteration of the market, that's worked out okay. If you had done it for Amazon- It worked out really well. You've made 18% a year. I don't know that this, this current iteration is over, though. I don't think you can, you can say that it's, it's done really well yet. Yeah, well, I, it's all a matter of time frame. Waiting for you to capitulate, Toby. That's when I'll know that we're we're gonna it's, turn the corner. <laughs> I'll, I'll be I'll be those I'll be those animals that last ten thousand years past the uh, and then and die then right at the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last man standing. Yeah, I the only the only thing that I I don't like. And I don't know enough about Sun Microsystems to really know, but like I like I gotta pull up their financials. That whole like 10 times sales that would take me 10 years to pay you everything without cost, like I think that's kind of a disingenuous statement. And I also don't know that corporate managers are very good at valuation, to be honest. Um I I like you're not gonna you're not gonna trade a growth stock is not gonna trade at 10 years liquidation value. Like it's just not. So to be like I would have to pay you everything, like just kind of seems like a very flawed argument to me. It's a manufacturer too. They're making real stuff and selling it as yeah. opposed to some sort of software business. Yeah, that's what I need to to look at is like so what were they actually doing? You're taking a lot more out of the revs than you are for like a Zoom or something like that, right? 
Yeah. Like saying, you know, it's a hundred times cash flow. That that is something that I understand a little bit better. And like we're only growing at such percent, therefore, what's your terminal value? Like that would be a more nuanced conversation that I think would have been more helpful to cite. No room for nuance, Bill. This is not it's not a good narrative Fair. if there's nuance. I just expect more out of them. Like I get I get what they were writing when they wrote that quote, but I think that, that quote sort of leads to some stunted thinking. Agreed. It's also in a world with like six percent interest rates on the ten year too. Yeah. Oh, imagine that juicy yield. My does it really make any like does it make any difference, do you think? Because you just isn't that just your isn't that the you know, that's your alternative. So the the world is running at that kind of rate. Like you have to be running faster than that rate, or you have to be yielding more than that over time to make that worthwhile. Like this is something I've just been thinking about. I'm just completely talking off the top of my head here. But if you like the interest rates at one point five percent or wherever we are at the moment, you know, that just means that there's a and it seems like we're going to stay in this place for a long time. Does that mean that maybe 10, I mean, those old like 10 times sales is kind of meaningless in that kind of world, right? Like that, that might be a reasonable valuation. Well, it all depends what your margin structure is and what your returns on capital are and what your returns on incremental capital are. Like, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think anything's special about 10 times sales. It's if just you, if you're doing 50 per, Yeah. But if you're doing like 50% free cash flow margins grown at 20%, like 10 times sales isn't that expensive. That's like, you know, what, 20 times cash flow. That's not crazy growing 20%. Like, yeah, pay a shit ton. If you bought, if you bought uh, C's candy at 10 times sales in 1972, you, you did okay. Yeah. And like these high rate businesses, there's a lot more theoretical cash flow to distribute every single year and they don't need as much. Right. But, you know, it's just, I think parsing out which ones are really high ROIC and which ones are a lot of share-based comp is something that people probably could do a good job. Yeah. And there's that, yes, there's all this demand and it's, you know, I think that it, that will probably continue, but we go back to that total eventual supply as well. And, you know, I think if they're that great of businesses, historically that attracts competitors and that's, you know, I mean, I don't know that that's true anymore, man. I, and the reason oh, that come I say on. It, we have not suspended the laws of economics. With- I think you may be wrong. I really do. And I think that the reason that I say that is I think that there is a very real possibility that we're building out global infrastructure and scale advantages have always been something that have won. And I think that the size that people are racing to may preclude competition in the future. And that's like, a pretty dystopian outcome because I think it's really bad for labor and, and people generally. So but do you I mean like uh, potential Standard outcome. Oil and, and AT&T and all these well, other guys t- who have are- huge scale and network effects? Well, what, I guess what's different about Standard uh, What I would say is different about Standard Oil and like something like Salesforce is switching costs. I, I don't think that Standard Oil's oil was any different than Saudi Arabia's oil. I think that pulling out an entire enterprise resource uh, system is really, really painful. And to get somebody to do that, you better offer like a way, way, way better product, especially since you've got all these people that are going to get fired if it goes wrong. And like these companies are racing to get installed bases. And that could be really valuable for a very, very long time. I, I think you have yeah. to at least acknowledge the possibility. If you're thinking in probabilities, I think saying no is is not thinking. I think uh, where we're where we differ is on timelines. I, I would imagine. I think you're right. 
over maybe, I'm not sure what the timeline would be. And based on our, our uh, extinction conversation, the timeline might be longer than I should originally think, but eventually I, I don't believe that this is, that these are not, that these are impenetrable moats. Yeah. I mean, 200 years, fine. (laughs) But like, we just, we just determined that that's not that long of a timeline. Right. So like, it's not impossible that that's the outcome here. That would be wild. I I mean, we're, it's a global game. If you get scale, you, you know, it's cost advantages. I think there's probably, there's gotta be too much tribalism to have total global scale. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's two poles, right? It's going to be east and west. Yeah. It's hard to imagine that there's not some blowback there in some kind of geopolitical way where we, where you don't actually have like full global scale. Well, this is kind of what I worry about. Like, if you talk about risk that's completely underpriced, I, I think that like this could lead to like huge. If, if the theory that I just laid out is correct, I think you could lead to like real bad political outcomes. Because you're going to have so many people that are just like left behind and are like, I, I heard somebody quote Chris soccer or whatever that like, you know, there's going to be like 10 people that own everything and the rest of the world is going to rent. Uh, I don't think that the populace is going to stand for that, but you know, what do you, I, I can't do anything about that. Those are big thoughts that are, I'm not sure I'd want to be one of grade. those 10 at that point. Would you? No, no, <laughs> not, not really. Yeah. You're living on Mars. Okay. That's, Fair enough. Yeah, with Elon, no thank you. I, You know, something I've been thinking that's kind of funny is everybody wants to live forever and COVID was kind of like, all right, well, try that. <laughs> extinction. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you're welcome for the demonetization. I, Somebody I did, did see say... A, I did see a funny tweet that said, like, I don't know what... I don't know the numbers of, like, how many people won in... Uh, I don't know. Is it a thousand or something? of people who get COVID die, I, maybe somewhere around there, I guess. But imagine if we had had something that was like a one in 10 type of virality, like w- things are already so screwed up from like, it's such a mess just from one in a thousand. Imagine if we had one in a hundred or one in 10 or something. It might not spread as quick. Well, that's true. But when those initial pic- pictures were coming out of uh, China with, um, I-, I don't know if it was on like uh one of the conspiracy websites. On yeah, zero, zero Hedge. Was it Zero Hedge? Yeah. And they I were like, know, people yeah. people falling over on the street and they were like welding their doors shut. I thought this this could be like a 1914 style Spanish flu that decimates the planet. You know, that's one in 10, maybe more than that. I don't think it's been quite that bad. Yeah. That'll cause some supply chain issues. Uh, yeah, that wouldn't be good. Uh, anyway, we, we've, we've the diverted. 20s, though. I, I do think there's an interesting question in the comments uh, if we want to get back on to yeah, off of COVID yeah, and yeah. back onto the monetization path. Yeah, remonetize. <laughs> um, so <laughs> somebody's asking about Kraft Heinz. And like I I said, you know, I think I think that if you think that Buffett and Munger are good at assessing incentives then I think you also have to say, okay, well, how, how well will I do assessing incentives from the outside, given what has happened at Wells and now Kraft Heinz? Can you give a little background about what Kraft Heinz? Yeah, Kraft Heinz settled. I think it was like, it wasn't a ton of money, but it was like 70 million bucks, which is more than a lot of people pay for, uh, you know, accounting fraud and whatnot. Um, 
And I just think generally more than than this is just kind of the end of a story. But I think that 3G, you know, has underperformed certainly expectations. And there's a lot of annual meetings that you can hear Charlie talk about 3G doing God's work, you know, and like how it's it's really great for capitalism that these guys do zero based budgeting and stuff like that. And there's a reasonable argument to be made that they really miss that. And I and rather than like go at them over it, I think it's a more important question to think about if they miss something like that, what might I miss? I think that's more constructive than sort of Monday morning quarterbacking. Yeah, that's fair. I think I think if if it was 3G that was sitting here and wanted to push back a little bit, they would say we we cut the expenses that are non-strategic meaning that they don't go towards delighting the customer to allow the muscle uh, and the reinvestment in things that do delight the customer. Now, whether operationally that has happened is maybe open for debate. And I don't know the answer to that very well. Um, Cause it's a lot of little decisions at the margin all along of where does, where do money, where does money go inside the corporation? So, but theoretically, craft, man, it's pretty hard to argue that it didn't backfire. I mean, they basically needed everybody well locked in to like, have a good quarter because they did well last year. Right. When everybody had to cook. Mm. I don't, I don't disagree with you. I don't mean to cut you off. I'm just, I, I do think in that entity, it's hard to argue that they, that they didn't cut too far. Yeah. I I'm not, I'm going to recuse myself from the conversation because I have some conflicts of interest with a family member that works at craft. So, okay. <laughs> well, I'm sure he's, or she is a great person. But uh, I, I don't know. I just, you know, it's kind she of, is. Um, I, I married her. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so I just think um, I don't know. I just think it's kind of it's it's an interesting thing to observe and think about because they were pretty loud about, you know, back before Wells, all the stuff came out. They were pretty loud about how Wells was great. And they've been pretty loud about how 3G's been great. And uh, those in retrospect don't look great. I think the other part that comes to mind for me is that the it culture can decay and it's tough probably, especially if you have allegiance to and like friends. And I think Buffett and Munger have both been very loyal to the people. They're kind of ride or die for the most part until someone, you know, I'm thinking like Sokol, um, then they're just like, you know, off with your head, but in general, they're pretty ride or die. And so then, you know, you're, I think you're maybe makes you a little bit blind to, but it also, I think is that loyalty gets rewarded with, you know, maybe some deal flow that other people wouldn't get. So I think it's like sort of, it's not entirely obvious that like one way is the right way or not. And there's probably some balance that needs to be executed there, but it's, I do see like that, that on occasion that that can be a, can create a big problem for you if you're, if that loyalty and maybe not checking up as often as you should. I don't know. Yeah. And the other thing is, it's the other side of leverage. I mean, I joke about loving leverage a lot, but like it, when it goes That's wrong, true. it goes wrong. And and when you have interest expense, you know, a lot of people in an EBITDA world like to pretend it's not a fixed cost. It's pretty freaking fixed. Like, you know, you don't pay the bank, you don't get your company. So it can limit what levers you're you're able to pay. 
I think it's the big bear thesis on AT&T historically. Maybe that's changed now, but like all the debt and all the dividend created a fixed cost in that entity that may have prevented investment where there should have been investment. I mean, that's a kind of a corporate wide phenomena right now. Not yeah. the div- maybe more buyback than dividend, but leverage added, shares count reduced, operational flexibility reduced, uh, long-term thinking reduced. Yeah, it's dope when it works. Sure. It just, it's, it's dope for, it's those five, keep working. for those five years when you're this average tenure of the CEO. <clears throat> works like a charm. Yeah. And I think, I think that stuff's important to think about. I mean, that's, that's more where I'm at with this whole Kraft Heinz thing is trying to reassess kind of what my priors were and like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't see any good, like going at those guys over it, but it must've looked like a lock though, right? You got great brands. You got all the, you got all of the grocery space that you need. It's, it's hard to kind of uh, figure out how that's going to go wrong. And then it's, it's this like shift yeah. And I, I think, too, like, uh, you know, they got attacked by private label. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why. Um, I mean, Postmarket said that Hormel has done fine. I'm not going to fade them. They're smarter than me. But um, like, I, I don't know. Uh, when I was in food at the bank, it was always like 2008 really opened consumers mind to private label. And they were willing to trade down. And then once they traded down, they, re- they realized like, oh, this is actually really good value. And I, I think maybe the brands lost more value than they sort of realized quicker than they realized. But I don't know. Yeah. And all the DTC stuff like really kind of made people more adventurous, I think, on trying different brands. Yeah. Like, but I have fairly strong opinions on, right? And that got they're just like attacked by craft beer. And, you know, I mean, I... I think some of what people say about Bud is wrong, and I think some of it's right. But some of it's like Budweiser and Bud Light got kind of stale as brands. I don't know that that was an investment issue as much as the world kind of changed on them. Yeah, do you want to bet on the uh, horse-sized duck or the... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Duck-sized horse. That's a a good analogy. Yes, the, the thousand small ducks beat the horse. Like some, you know, I mean, some people be like, well, they underinvested in that brand. But like, I I just, I don't know. doesn't seem to me like, like you can't look at Miller and Coors. Their volumes have been crap too. Now, Bud Light's underperformed, but like, that's just a tough category. Yeah. We got time for some questions. Yeah, I got the world's worst internet connection here, but uh, we'll we'll see if we can. Bill, can you man I don't even the hotline? know if you guys can hear me or not at this point. <laughs> uh, I can. I can try. I don't know. Somebody had a question about Peloton. Uh, I don't have any good thoughts on Peloton. It'll either work or it won't. Oh, okay. You're welcome for that. <laughs> That's what they come here for is the <laughs> hard-hitting. <laughs> yeah. I got, my, I got my subscription turned on yesterday. I had canceled it and it got turned on and I'll be turning it off again. I didn't mean for it to come back on. So there's that. Um, <laughs> uh Oh, phantom revenue. Yeah. Well, that that's kind of the power of subscription businesses. You know, they can just like jam you. I don't I'll tell like you the that. other one. Do you know. get this? I got 
my my four year old or something got a hold of uh, my wife's iPad, all kinds of charges came through Apple. <laughs> it's like what the hell? But it's my wife's account. How am I gonna How am I gonna dispute them? Uh, what kind of stuff did he download? Nah, just like a bunch of monster truck games and stuff. But okay, you know these damn games with the in app purchases. They frustrate yeah. him so much, and then he's just like clicking. I got like seventy bucks of charges. I was like, <laughs> what the hell, man? <laughs> Oh, man, I think you have something wrong in your settings if you could just like push buttons and make money disappear. Yes. Well, we had a talk as a family. Oh, good. <laughs> 30% goes to Apple. What a crock of shit. <laughs> yeah, you just gave Tim Apple like uh, $21 or something. Huh? Yeah, for no value, like none. I got no value. I would have had more fun lighting the money on fire. Instead, I have this shitty like video game that has all the monster trucks unlocked. Great. <laughs> oh, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't see too many questions. Oh, good. We've got. We answered them all already. <laughs> thoughts yeah. on Porsche? I don't really have any thoughts on Porsche. Thoughts on QRTEA? Curate? Yeah. No. What's the update on Zoom? Curate. Oh, curates crushing Zoom. Mm. We'll see. I don't know. I'm. Uh, I mean, look, the supply chain stuff is real. Uh, the way that that business works, they need like our uh, cats, cat sweaters. Currently, supply chain. Do crushing. not, man. That's <laughs> not right. We give the ladies the inventory they love. Okay. Yeah. Grandmas love cat sweaters. So the deal of the day, I'll tell you what, grandma, have, they have to watch cat sweaters because it's basically going to come down to the deal of the day is whatever vendor can uh, fulfill the, uh, the that actual size. Order. Yeah, that's right. So who knows? <clears throat> um, I don't know. I don't know. We what got if- nothing. Yeah, what do you think? It, what if it's like, have you guys heard of the Gaia hypothesis before? It's like Mother Nature kind of pushing back in ways. It's like, like, what if, yeah, like COVID what if coming out? To yeah, like push what if, back against Silicon Valley saying that they're going to live forever? Yes, I have heard of this. <laughs> I think it just happened. I was thinking more about like environmental footprints and, you know, supply chains and like pushing them back towards a little bit. Cause I was just thinking like, well, you have all this shit inventory that needs to be moved now because we don't have other inventory that people really want. And maybe you'll just be happy getting that cat sweater because you just need an actual sweater like for the wintertime. It's the uh, thought that counts. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's, maybe this is Gaia kind of shrinking the footprint a little bit of all these supply chains and pushing us back in our place a little bit. Um, hang on. I, somebody says thoughts on all the reverse repos. If, if you'll, uh, if you'll say, more um open to i need more details i don't even know what the question means you're using a lot of big words i'm gonna take yeah. that as offense <laughs> pretend you're talking to a three-year-old because that's about this brain I, lumber was not a pump and dump this is such a stupid comment you can't pump and dump a fucking commodity market like whoa hunt brothers yeah, that? well, OK, but it's not like I mean, it's a cash market. There was a lot of problems. People got speculative. Then people stopped buying lumber. Lumber crashed like people got too bold up. 
here's an amazing thing that happens when stock prices or lumber prices go up. People get too bold up. Like that's what happens. It's not a pump and dump. <laughs> so it's like, I, I don't understand the comment. It's like saying oil was a pump and dump. Okay. Well, they, they pumped it out of the ground and then they dumped it into our cars. So I'll agree with that. Dumped it for negative price for a little while. Yeah. Any good books lately? I'm reading Think Twice. I like it. Oh, yeah. My bosun. Yeah. And it's so smart because it says thin ice right in the middle of the... Do you notice that? Uh, I don't. Green first. Look at the title, all, Bill. Come on. on. Look at, if you look at it, it says thin ice in between Think Twice. It's oh, genius. I got to check that out. I'm going to come to defend Green First a little bit because my man Mike was involved in that. If you're looking at the stock price, then you may think so because you don't understand that there are three rights attached to every single share. Now, there's arguably ARBs that are in the stock, and we'll see what happens when it's all flushed out. But I don't think it was a pump and dump. I think that's not an accurate description. I can assure you Mike did not dump any. <laughs> So to, to come at him or anyone in that way would be uh, not correct. I have, I'm reading right now um, Kahneman's new book, Noise. And it's clear to me that we're doing so many things wrong as a, so many things wrong as a decision-making species. Because there's a society. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, Both. present company heavily included. Like responding to questions that are based off Twitter craziness that people aren't doing due diligence and get waxed in, and yeah. then they don't know the actual story, and then they're saying stuff. Yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> yeah, we are. Uh, we're a little bit sloppy with our decision making. It turns out. Yeah, I just you know the thing about the pump and dump thing that bothers me is it's like it's just not true, and that's like it's a pretty heavy accusation to uh, to to say without any facts. And if you don't know what was dumped and you can't say like this was dumped, then it's like, you're kind of a schmuck for even saying it. I thought we would moved on past securities fraud anyway, at this point, that's what I learned. You don't, you don't really get in trouble for that. Yeah. So. <laughs> Nicholas is still out there trading. I'll tell you what looks dope. Is the Rivian. Yeah, it does. That Rivian truck looks sweet. Oh yeah, how much is that going to retail for? Uh, I thought I read like sixty-five, which I mean, shit, a Ford F Fiesta is going to yeah. be that not too long. <laughs> yeah, they're all very good at overpromising those guys. Though, like those Rivians were supposed to be out like eighteen months ago, and there's a there's an SUV version of it. They're just nowhere near it. That yeah, has, that does not matter for valuation. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> the, right. It doesn't the EV space. I don't know if they've managed to reverse. Uh, I don't know if they spacked themselves yet. Mm. Who? Rivian? Yeah. Are they spacked? I think they're getting an IPO. Okay. I don't know. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't, yeah. I think old the SPAC market, <laughs> I don't think the SPAC market is uh, strong. Really ready to receive assets. I don't know. Bill Ackman's got a lot of money. Maybe he's the one. Yeah. He's going to rescue the whole complex. That's right. He's got a, a nice, uh, nice promote waiting for it. So maybe he'll, uh, he'll bring it public at a big valuation. It's not like the incentives are there for him to get a deal across the finish line. Huh? 
Yeah, well, that's that is the fair argument to SPACs. I the thing that I've been thinking about though is how different is that than an IPO? Because like all the bankers get paid, and you do these road shows, and you're like, you know, the the danger comes in a SPAC. You can actually show forward pr- projections, right? But mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Um, I'd be interested. Anyone that has thoughtful comments on that, please let me know. Hmm. Uh, but that's that's fellas. Um, got the world's worst internet connection here. So, Toby, thanks for showing up today. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. You really, <laughs> you really, really carried the way. Great. <laughs> uh, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs>